The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. We gather to worship Almighty God, to illumine the imagination by the beauty of God, to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to warm the heart by the love of God, to devote the will to the purposes of God. We gather to worship Almighty God. The liturgy, music, homily, and cantata this Lord's Day are offered in the praise of God for our gathered congregation here within Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership now and later around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of leadership and service in our midst. And as the Spirit moves, come Sunday, your presence with us, with us in worship. This is the day the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
we pray. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. A lesson from Epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 11 through 25. And every priest stands day after day at his service, offering again and again the same sacrifices that can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since then has been waiting until his enemies would be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. He also adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in saying verses from Psalm 113 with the Antiphon. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations, and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high? Who looks on the heavens and the earth. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with the princes and the princesses. Praise the Lord. Let us stand as we are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri in the reading of the Gospel.
The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Mark, chapter 13, verses 1 through 8. As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will this be? And what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? Then Jesus began to say to them, Beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. Our passage today from St. Mark is sometimes called the Little Apocalypse. The reading is another place in the gospel where and when we overhear the troubles of Mark's community. They face persecution. In facing trouble, they wonder whether the end of time has come. The gospel writer records the Lord's response that the end is not yet. In the rest of this long chapter 13, which will include some apocalyptic language and imagery from the first century, continues to make the same point. The end is not here. There may be trouble, trauma, and persecution, but the end is not quite yet. In the end, at the end of Mark 13, we will be counseled that no one can see the future and that we should therefore be watchful day by day. Here in Mark 13, we are reminded of what we have heard from Mark through the past year, now brought to a sort of conclusion. Jesus expected the end of all things imminently, or at least within a generation of his own lifetime, so Joel Marcus. Oddly, this chapter 13 begins with a traditional listing of signs that will precede such an end. Yet, when we come to the end of Mark 13, the end of the end of the end of things, as it were, the opposite view is presented, that the end like most, if not all, endings, will come without warning, unexpectedly, suddenly, without signs, and so on. Further, the ongoing fear or pain of persecution in Mark's community bubbles up in this chapter beginning to end. Cognitive dissonance, in our beloved Peter Berger's phrase, oozes out of every nook and cranny, as do the references to the book of Daniel, take Son of Man to stand for many. Mark knew his Hebrew scripture, or so it appears. He also appears to have had some preaching competitors whom he is quoting to discredit, saying, when you hear of... That said, Mark is using standard eschatological language and imagery right out of central apocalyptic casting, traditional customary in his time, if utterly baffling and odd in our own. At home, listening by radio, ready it may be for the beauty today of the Bach, you may wonder what on earth or under the earth any of this matters, and fair enough. Yet it mattered to the early Christians, big league. It mattered to them that there was meaning in and beyond their suffering, It mattered to them that the momentous changes of their time, religion destroyed in the fall of the temple, say, were endurable and surmountable. It mattered to them that the good news of God's love in the end by gospel teaching prevails over against all manner of other endings. These things matter to you and me as well. Further, 
Mark, as Paul, is unafraid to metaphorize using birth pangs, labor pain, to convey both the reality of hurt and the joy of impending new life. These men wrote of what they did not know about, truly, but they truly, nonetheless, told the truth. Taken as a whole, the New Testament books, while shot through with apocalyptic language and imagery like that found in Mark 13 here, expectations of the end of time current at the time the books were written, these books bring their own slant, their own perspective to inherited apocalyptic thought. Some adopt that thought, some discard that thought. The Gospel of Mark adopts it, the Gospel of John discards it. In its place, in the main, the New Testament books proclaim a way of living in thanksgiving, a way of living in love. In our day and in our particular part of history, including these past several months with their own troubles and their trauma, we may want to take a clear reminder with us this Lord's Day of thanksgiving, of love. Consider, the scripture says, how to stir up one another to love and good works. That is, in much of this, the gospel lesson is not that different from the reading from Hebrews, where we are similarly encouraged to be gentle, thankful, loving, and watchful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. A remarkable, beautiful admonition, beloved. Plan for the worst. Hope for the best. Then do your most and leave all the rest. And live with thanksgiving as the harvest draws near. And harvest with love as thanksgiving draws near. Rejoice in the Lord always, again I say rejoice, and give thanks for others, for people, for a bounty of people, for a thanksgiving of soulful people, as our friend Max Coots wrote. Let us give thanks for a bounty of people, for children who are our second planting, and though they grow like weeds and the wind too soon blows them away, May they forgive us our cultivation and fondly remember where their roots are. For generous friends with hearts and smiles as bright as their blossoms. For feisty friends as tart as apples. For continuous friends who like scallions and cucumbers keep reminding us that we've had them. For crotchety friends as sour as rhubarb and as indestructible for handsome friends who are as gorgeous as eggplants and as elegant as a row of corn and the other plain as potatoes and just as good for you. For funny friends who are as silly as Brussels sprouts and as amusing as Jerusalem artichokes and serious friends as complex as cauliflowers and as intricate as onions. For friends as unpretentious as cabbages as subtle as summer squash, as persistent as parsley, as delightful as dill, as endless as zucchini, and who, like parsnips, can be counted on to see you through the winter. For old friends nodding like sunflowers in the evening time, and young friends coming on as fast as radishes. For loving friends who wind around us like tendrils and hold us despite our blights, wilts, and witherings. And finally, for those friends now gone, like gardens past that have been harvested and who fed us in their times that we might have life thereafter. For all these friends, we give thanks. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Dr. Jarrett, how shall we listen this morning to this morning's wonderful Bach cantata? Bach drew his inspiration for this morning's cantata from the 19th chapter of the book of Luke. In those verses, Jesus has just entered Jerusalem and he's received by 
palm branches and loud hosannas, but he also observes a rising sentiment of ill will uh, that, uh, that predicts his week in Jerusalem. And in the verses following that Palm Sunday verses, uh, Jesus weeps over Jerusalem, and he prophesies Jerusalem's destruction because they did not observe and receive God's grace. The next verses deal with Jesus in the temple overturning the tables uh, of the money changers and the vendors. Uh, Bach and his librettist have created Bach uh, Cantata 46, which is a marvelous masterpiece in miniature that connects the modern-day congregation to those people in Jerusalem who did not recognize the grace of God. We are reminded that our own sin gets in the way of our ability to love and accept God's grace. As a consolation, we are reminded in the alto aria to come in the cantata that even as Jesus punishes, he watches over his faithful as sheep and little chicks. The cantata opens with a verse from the book of Lamentations in the Hebrew Scriptures, Behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow. For the Lord hath afflicted me with a great misery in the day of his wrath. These verses depict Jesus' anguish and prophecy of judgment that we heard about in the Luke text. This opening movement is structured neatly in two halves. The first is a low lament with weeping triads sung by the singers, followed by a gnarled fugue that depicts both our misery and God's wrath. Bach thought so highly of this music that he used it to fashion the Quitolis Peccata Mundi, later uh, incorporated into the B minor mass. The two arias that form the corpus of the cantata are for bass and alto, respectively, and both draw on images from nature to state their case. In the first aria, heralded by a trumpet, the bass sings of a brewing storm that is the harbinger of God's judgment. In that aria, Listen for the lightning breaking through the clouds, both in the marvelous melisma for the bass on the word strahl, but also in the virtuosic scales darting around the orchestra. For the reminder of Jesus' protection of the faithful, the threat of bad weather is momentarily quelled. Silent are the strings of the orchestra. Silent, too, is the continual group. And over a lonely walking bass line, there are two oboes de caccia playing in unison as two gentle recorders ruminate on their theme. This is the second aria, the alto aria. At the end of this aria, Bach takes one more opportunity to remind us of gathering storms when he observes that when storms uh, reward sinners, Jesus helps the faithful and secures them uh, to dwell in safety. The final chorale reminds us of the language from the opening movement, But here it is Jesus' passion that calms God's wrath and the brewing storm. This presentation of Cantata 46 concludes Marsh Chapel's survey of cantatas written in the summer of 1723, weeks that were marked for Bach by astonishing displays of theological and musical wonder. What a gift they must have been to that Leipzig congregation as they are to us today. To conclude our sermon today, as is our tradition at Marsh Chapel in this season, we offer Howard Thurman's magnificent thanksgiving prayer. We offer his prayer in devotion to God in the moment. We offer his prayer in gratitude to you, especially you who may be looking for a prayer for Thursday at dinner time. It is on our website. Today I make my sacrament of thanksgiving. I begin with the simple things of my days, fresh air to breathe, cool water to drink, the taste of food, the protection of houses and clothes, the comforts of home. For all these, I make an act of thanksgiving this day. I bring to mind all the warmth of humankind that I have known, my mother's arms, the strength of my father, the playmates of my childhood, the tears I have shed, the tears I have seen, the excitement of laughter and the twinkle in the eye with its reminder that life is good. For all these, I make an act of thanksgiving this day.
I linger over the meaning of my own life and the commitment to which I give the loyalty of my heart and mind, the little purposes in which I have shared my loves, my desires, my gifts, the restlessness which bottoms all I do with its stark insistence that I have never done my best, I have never dared to reach for the highest, the big hope that never quite deserts me, that I and my kind will study war no more, that love and tenderness and all the inner graces of almighty affection will cover the life of the children of God as the waters cover the sea. All these and more than mind can think and heart can feel, I make as my sacrament of thanksgiving to thee, O God, in humbleness of mind and simplicity of heart. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Amen.
Sonne steigt, Aschenhaufen, das ganze Bäche, Tränen laufen, weil dich betroffen hat ein unersetzlicher Verlust, der alle höchsten Hut zu entbehren musst durch deine Schuld. Du würdest wie zu gerichtet, wie wohl nicht da vernichtet, o besser wirst du im Grund zerstört, als dass man Christi Feind jetzt in dir lästern hört. Du achtest Jesu Tränen nicht, so acht nun des Eifers Wasserwogen, die du selbst über dich bezogen, da Gott nach viel Geduld den Stab zum Urteil bricht. Strah, ah, 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 ah,
Good morning. We welcome you again to Marsh Chapel on this crisp fall morning after our first snowfall. Thank you for joining us as part of our community of worship today. Whether you are here in the sanctuary, listening on the radio or live stream on the internet or later via a podcast, please know that you are a valued member of our community. Please join me in thanking Dr. Scott Allen Jarrett, the Marsh Chapel Choir, and the Collegium for our wonderful cantata this morning. For those of you joining us in the sanctuary, we invite you to fill out your name and contact information in the red pads found along the center aisle of each pew. This will help us to get to know you better and you to get to know one another better. 
As this week is the Thanksgiving holiday, there are a few changes to our weekly offerings. On Monday, night prayers will be held at 5.30, followed by community dinner at 6 p.m. Our Tuesday evening Create Space and International Dinner will not take place this week. The Marsh Chapel offices will be closed from Wednesday through Saturday, and we look forward to being with you next Sunday. For all other news and upcoming events, please visit the chapel website at bu.edu chapel, where there is the opportunity for online giving. On behalf of the Marsh Chapel staff, we wish you an abundance of Thanksgiving blessings. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
dear God, we thank you for the gifts that you have bestowed upon us. We now return a portion of these gifts unto you in hopes that they may be used to share your love and peace in the world. Amen. May the sun show warm and bright on you, your darkest night a star shine through, your dullest morn a radiance brew, and when dusk comes, God's hand to you. The blessing of God Almighty, creator, redeemer, and sustainer be and abide with us now and forever. <laughs> 